Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. All right, this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast is the third episode in our five-episode infrastructure series, which is being brought to you by Red Vector and Dan Foss. In this episode, I talk with Michael Burns, PEPGMP from AECOM, about many things related to infrastructure. One of the main topics we discuss is assessing the risk associated with infrastructure projects in deciding whether or not to move projects forward, which is what Mike does for AECOM. And I'm really happy that Mike took the time out of his very busy schedule to do this episode. He put a lot of thought into it. We had a couple of phone calls leading up to the episode. He put together a really great outline that we kind of walked through on this episode. And I think it's a really valuable piece of content for our listeners. And I'm really proud of it and proud that Mike took the time to do that. Civil engineering, we're all busy. People are busy on high profile projects like Mike is, but I was grateful for the time. And I think you're going to enjoy this episode quite a bit. Now, before we get into the main segment of our show, I do want to recognize our sponsors for this series because putting on a podcast costs money. We have an audio producer and there's a lot of work that goes into it. We have a team here at the Engineering Management Institute that works on the episodes and we'd like to keep them free for you, the listener. And that's why we're really happy that Red Vector and Dan Foss have decided to sponsor this series. So firstly, I'm happy to welcome a new sponsor to the Civil Engineering Podcast, Red Vector. Red Vector, a Vector Solutions brand, is a leading provider of online continuing education and performance support solutions for the architecture, engineering, and construction facilities management fields. When you train with Red Vector, you'll be in good company with the other industry-leading organizations and professionals who have chosen to reduce risk, ensure compliance, hone skills, and meet their CE or PDH requirements. More on Red Vector later on in this episode. Now, let me take a moment to tell you about Danfoss. Danfoss is a company that is focused on building the sustainable communities of the future. They dream up and manufacture a lot of the solutions that go into all kinds of different infrastructure systems. They call it engineering tomorrow. As we've been discussing here on the show, and you'll hear Mike discuss again in this episode, we need smarter infrastructure solutions to support urban centers as they grow. Danfoss has a project that is all about that, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on in the show. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's civil engineering conversation, just so you get to know a little bit more about Mike before we dive in. Michael Burns is a passionate leader and program director for AECOM, whose DBFO experience and tireless approach to engaging diverse stakeholder groups creates a proactive culture supporting continuous improvement and profitable delivery. His specialties include program management, infrastructure development, enterprise risk management, and integrated project delivery. Again, he was very generous with his time. He also teaches at one of the local colleges, just again, showing his passion for education, which totally comes out in this interview. So with that, it's time for today's Civil Engineering Conversation. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week, and I'm thrilled today to welcome on Michael Burns from AECOM. Mike, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Excited to be here. All right. So I'm excited to have you, Mike. I know you do a lot of work in the infrastructure world, and I know you get to work on a lot of great projects with AECOM. And for those of you listeners out there, we're in the midst of a five-episode series on the topic of infrastructure because it's such an important topic. And what I want to do to start off with Mike is, Mike, before we even jump into some of the stuff that you and I are going to talk about in terms of infrastructure, I know I gave our listeners a little bit of your background already, but in your own words, why don't you kind of brief them kind of on your career and and what you're up to? So currently I am vice president, a corporate vice president with AECOM responsible for our global risk programs. That includes enterprise risk management, looking 
across all things that AECOM does in the design, build, finance, and operate space and make sure we're accurately uh, managing our risks. And then I work with our experts in each of our different business groups to make sure that operationally we have the right systems in place to proactively manage those risks. I came to this place in my career in somewhat of a circuitous path. You know, I often reflect on being a, a young person in college trying to determine uh, what I might do. And, and I think it was an ASCE-like video showing all the incredible things that we build around the world that engineers influence. And that's how I, I ended up choosing engineering as an undergraduate. And through my career path, I've had an opportunity to be a design engineer. I then went into construction management and spent time building both phys- vertical and horizontal infrastructure projects. Spent about 10 years as a state developer, really on the ground in communities, truly understanding the impacts of projects, but more importantly, ultimately the impact of infrastructure, broad definition of infrastructure to people and communities that I was working with at that time. Subsequently had an opportunity to work internationally, Middle East, North Africa, and get a very different perspective on the infrastructure demand and expectations of people in that region which has brought me kind of full circle back to this risk role with AECOM, which I've been in for six years with that broad experience, allowing me to understand where we need to drill in, understand where we're mature, understanding where we have the capabilities to, one, provide services to our clients and their constituents, and two, do it with a risk-intelligent approach. You're probably, I'm sure the listeners are interested in a lot of what Mike said, because if you're a civil engineer, these are big, big issues, and we're going to cover them as we speak here on this episode, we're going to walk through some of these things, especially risk and, and what Mike does. He's going to talk about that in more detail. So Mike, to start us off today, I think one of the things that we failed to do in this series so far is to define infrastructure. I mean, we jumped into infrastructure, sustainable infrastructure with Christina Swallow, the ASC president in the first episode. In the second episode, we talked about adaptive design with Professor Ayub in terms of we can't really base our designs of infrastructure on past weather patterns anymore because they're not necessarily going to be the same. But I think what we didn't do is really define it like at the core, what is infrastructure? We hear this word thrown around all the time. And so kind of to kick us off, kind of a two-part question here, what is infrastructure and how would you explain it to someone? And what we hear in terms of infrastructure a lot is the American Society of Civil Engineers their report card, which they've given our infrastructure in the country a D minus. So let's talk about infrastructure, what it is, and what this report card means. Boy, that's a, a great question. One I don't have a canned answer for, but one I often ask either when I'm, I have a part-time teaching engagement that I do at Cal Poly and I ask students there, I often ask it just with friends and family sitting around the table going, hey, there's a lot in the news about infrastructure. What does that mean to you? But when I think about it, I often reflect on I'm one of the really more interesting personal engagements I had working in Libya years ago. I worked in Libya at a point of time when Gaddafi, the leader at that time, had normalized relationships with the U.S. or the Western world to a certain extent. And, and therefore, a lot of companies, global companies, had moved into Libya to develop, quote unquote, infrastructure. Literally like $200 billion worth of infrastructure programs were intended to be funneled to the people of that country so that they would start to benefit from their oil and gas wealth. Oftentimes when you work overseas, and Anthony, correct me if I'm wrong, I know this is an ASCE podcast for folks in the States, but many of us touch projects all around the world. And I think it helps to understand others' perspective on infrastructure to inform ours. But In this large infrastructure program, we hired a lot of local people uh, to work on our program, put them to work as as engineers, put them to work as secretaries and many other things to help transfer knowledge to that country as we help them develop their infrastructure. And when you work in a different culture, sometimes developing the personal relationships necessary to do business are a little bit more constrained than than maybe when you're working with people who you've worked with on a day-to-day basis for many years. And, And one of the most pleasing things I had happen to me in that instance was a young woman who I ended up having great respect for, a very bright person who was part of my team, had been part of my team for several months, finally stuck her head into my office at the end of a day and, and said to me, I know my role is to manage these contracts, but this is called the infrastructure development program for the people of Libya. And I don't have any idea what the word infrastructure means. <laughs> and so it drilled into me and, and we sat down and talked about it for a while. And I said, it's really, from my perspective, broadly, trying to make sure that you have the systems in place that you as a human being need to have on a day-to-day basis 
and that certainly varies in different countries and different regions, but it includes being able to turn on a faucet and have safe water to drink. It includes having transportation systems to get your kids to school, to get to work, to get to see your family, uh, transportation systems that you can rely on to bring goods to you. I mean, every I mean, look at the incredible world we live in today and the connectivity of products that move across boundaries and ultimately end up in our home or our business place for use. It's the energy systems. You know, can you turn on power and is it reliable? Is it affordable? And it's inclusive of the IT infrastructure. Do I have connectivity to talk to people via the phone or the other things that I need to? So there's a whole bunch of hard infrastructure components that we rely on that sort of then roll over into what I consider the soft infrastructure, which is not only do we have those physical systems, which we rely on day to day to to lead our lives, and hopefully they don't inhibit our lives, but then do we have, as we move into other arenas like schools or court systems or other government facilities, again, we're building hard infrastructure buildings, which are connected via our civil infrastructure improvements. And we need the soft infrastructure, the people and the process that manage that. So not a great answer, but infrastructure is incredibly broad and very different depending on whom you are, what you do, or what you need. I think as engineers, as people who deliver that, we need to think about the fact that we touch from a technical perspective, we touch almost every one of those things I mentioned, and we provide part of the solution with our design, which is where uh, implementing a project starts. But we also need to be aware of and consider as we do design, what are the soft infrastructure components? Whom are the people that are going to manage this? Importantly, who are the people that participate and or use this infrastructure? All of that we've got to consider today more than we ever did in the past. And I think the concept of sustainability moved us towards a broader perspective on how to design, build, finance, and operate infrastructure. And I think resilience now is challenging us even more to have a more thoughtful and more dynamic conversations at the front end as we form projects to make sure that we ultimately you know, deliver the right infrastructure components for our clients and everything we deliver needs to consider the needs of the constituents who ultimately will use them. Yeah, that's great, Mike. And what I love about what you just talked about there is it makes it clear that the term infrastructure is very broad and it has a lot of aspects to it. Because I think one of the things that's happened that I've seen, and especially maybe in the civil engineering industry, is there's all this talk of like infrastructure funding and highway funding. And I think a lot of times like the highway and the roads and the bridges sometimes take a lot of the infrastructure definition on and we forget some of these other items that you've referred to, whether it's electrical or the energy systems, when you turn on the faucet, how clean the water is that comes out. I mean, it's all infrastructure. It's all tied together in infrastructure. And I think we need to remember that there's a very broad, it's just a lot. It just encompasses a lot. And we can't forget that because maybe you may think one is more important than the other, or you may happen to work in one field. But there's so many aspects to it. And Mike, in terms of this D-minus report card for ASCE, you can answer this really only from your own perspective and your own opinion. But what are your thoughts on that? And how do you think, like as an industry, what does that mean for us? Like, what should we take that information and do with it? Well, one, I commend ASCE for doing the report card, doing it on a regular basis and having it in place to inform our elected officials to inform the general public as they consider, you know, what is infrastructure, where and, and what should we fund? And, and obviously, as we all understand in the political realm, that, that influences how people vote. I thought it was great. I listened to the episode with Christina Swallow, the current ASCE president, and listening to her talk about different legislative things that she's seen, where in some instances, if we're voting on certain things, you know, the, our senators and, and congressmen Congresswomen, they can't help but be overwhelmed with phone calls from the public influencing the outcome of a particular vote. And then when we talk about an infrastructure bill or a highway funding bill, you know, aside from the industry, there's very little conversation, dialogue, demand, or pressure from the general public. So I think having that scorecard in place is important for us as professionals so we can understand where we need to be responsive, where the demands are. It's equally important to try and find a way for the broader population to get an understanding of what the report card tells us and how it affects their lives day to day. I think, you know, if you live in a community where you've been significantly impacted by poor water quality systems, by an adjudication order that's going to shut down your wastewater treatment plant, 
which means that your community can no longer grow and your taxes are going to have to increase to afford the things you're used to, or you've got roads that you drive day to day, which are damaging your car, you're probably attuned to an element of failing part of an infrastructure system. You may go into town hall and complain about it, but I think it's hard for people then to connect those dots to the bigger picture of that scorecard and to where do things really get stuck. Being in a risk management role today, you know, a lot of my focus is around project formation. And when you think about project formation, one of the things you know, that you become very aware of is the numerous funding lines from the different government agencies and or private sector partners that influence what we build, when we build it, why in some instances we're behind the curve and having improved something. And so I think they maintaining the scorecard, continuing to have a dialogue around that scorecard and a maturing dialogue around that scorecard is really important for us in the industry because it's expertise we bring and we can inform all of different agencies responsible for that infrastructure on better ways to do it, more sustainable and resilient ways to do it. But again, I think as as civil engineers and other people that we participate, our you know, builders, our architects, I think we've got to probably do a little bit better job of having that conversation with the general public so that there is more impetus for them to influence the elected officials in a way that allows us to improve the scorecard. I agree with Mike 100% in that. I think the report card really is a good tool for us as engineering professionals to be able to go to politicians and say, listen, look at this. This is a reputable organization that's done this analysis and we're bringing it to you now and we're to, to reinforce that we need funding, that we need help in this realm. But Mike also makes a good point. Like We can't stop there. We have to figure out a way to also talk to everyday people that ultimately get affected by this infrastructure because they obviously have a big voting effect on the officials and can help with that as well. But there's no doubt that ASC has done a great job and it has given us a tool So, Mike, I know you've already talked a bit about how infrastructure impacts people on a day-to-day basis in terms of water you drink, roads, et cetera, which is really important. And we do take this stuff for granted. There's no doubt about it, especially here in the U.S. where stuff that we have like clean water isn't available everywhere else. And you've obviously had experience, Mike, because you've worked all over the world, so you've gotten to see some of these things. But I know you also had a couple of books that might be helpful for people to think about in some of the complexity of these infrastructure systems. Would you mind sharing some of those with us? I'd like to say I'm a more avid reader uh, than I am. My mom and sister are avid readers. I try to read incrementally throughout the year. But there's some great books that give you at least a flavor for the incredible complexity of developing infrastructure and, and the human aspects of it. There's a, a Theodore Drescher who wrote a very famous book that's slipping my mind right now. It's called The Titan, I believe. Yeah, well, Titan he wrote, but he also wrote one that we all read in school that I can't remember the name of, apologies. But Titan's a book by Drescher that talks about Chicago, early 1900s, and trying to improve their rail system. And the behind-the-scenes political maneuvering at that time of what today we would probably consider to be a public-private partnership of a business person who ultimately in this book took advantage of the political system, but in doing so, did build and improve some rail programs. So that's one you know, fairly interesting book if you kind of want to get your head around the political side of forming these programs. Now, again, it's, it's not a factual book, but it tells a, a very good story. One of my most recent reads then was David McCullough's The Path Between the Seas, which uh, tells the story of the Panama Canal and the, the starts and stops of the original development of the Panama Canal. And the incredible complexities. I mean, especially for a civil engineer to look at how are we going to make a decision to get across and where are we going to do it? How are we going to route it? Just civil engineers is where we often start. I've got to get from point A to point B. How do I do it cost effectively? How do I deal with the right of way? The book also tells the incredible story of the politics, the global politics that influenced a project like that. Ultimately, I found it very interesting in the book where they start to talk about the project being really more of a rail project than it was conveyance, a water conveyance project as they figured out how to move the dirt. So again, it's just a really interesting book about real life, incredibly complex project. And I think it gives you, even though in our day-to-day lives, we don't often touch huge programs or projects like that. I think we all need to look at the things we do, irrespective of what little system we're designing today as part of these larger programs and and projects that do benefit broader areas of constituents. So 
those are a couple that come to mind that just make what we do in the engineering space feel a little bit more relatable, a little bit more human scale to what the demands are in the world as we design and build these projects. Yeah. And just the reason that we wanted to share some of these other resources with you is because we fully understand that Mike and I spoke several times before this interview because we're dealing with a monster of a topic here. We're trying to get a lot of information into a 45 minute or so episode. And so we want to try to give you other resources that if some of these things interest you, you can go and read one of the books that Mike mentioned or you know, listen to one of the other episodes in this series because we understand that it's not a, a quick topic for you to take and digest. But So we want to just kind of give you those other resources if you'd like to dig a little deeper. All right, Mike, let's talk a little bit more now. Let's go further into this and talk about capital programs or projects and how they form which I know just from some of our conversations, you get into risk mitigation and opportunity exploration, but I just wanted you to talk about that a little bit for the listeners. The one thing I shouldn't fail to mention, you know, as I do work for Acom, it's, it's a company with a global platform and, and we just talked about some resources and kind of some books that are out there, but there's also an incredible, I mean, everything online today, there's a lot of information. Acom's published, you know, some thought leadership around the infrastructure gap, financing and funding the future looks across all of our end markets, which we've been talking about, transportation, water or wastewater, energy, et cetera, and, and talks about the gaps. And funding gaps are, are oftentimes why, especially in the U.S., we have you know, a D minus in areas of the ASCE scorecard. And I think there's, as engineers, as builders, as architects, most often early in our careers, and depending on what level of expertise you attain, you may spend a lot of your career implementing projects, which is great. We've got to continue to get our bright young minds to choose a STEM educational path, to choose a STEM career, because one thing we can never have enough of is bright designers, good builders, and then people who can maintain and operate these systems. From a risk perspective, and when I look at things globally in the infrastructure space, it is the formation of a program or the formation of a project the reality is that's where we make a lot of the gain. We make a lot of the right choices. We create the opportunity. It's also a place where we make a lot of mistakes. Just think of the different groups you've got to bring together oftentimes to deliver one of these projects. You may have a local authority that's responsible to build a new piece of infrastructure, but that local authority uh, may be getting complimentary funding from multiple different agencies. They may have a county that's going to give them some money as part of their responsibility, for instance, for a roadway that goes through a city and a county. And they may be waiting for some federal funding that, that may or may not be coming, depending on the dynamic of Congress at the time. So what you've got all, inherently when you start a large project or program is, one, you've got to make sure you have the dollars to build it. In the past, we sometimes stopped there. Today, when we think about sustainability, we also want to make sure that we're not only going to build it, that it's going to you know, serve several generations of people when we do build it, which means we've got to think about the operations and maintenance. We've got to think about the replacement costs. We've got to think about resiliency. What if a weather event or, you know, very unfortunate, but it happens. What if a terrorist event happens? So all of these conversations need to be had during project formation with the broad group of subject matter experts on the public side who are funding this, and then oftentimes the private side who are funding it as well. And, and I'm not just talking about a public-private partnership. Oftentimes developers, businesses that are building in a community, if they're building a new office, they play a role in uh, funding the infrastructure that's necessary for that part of the community. So there's a very dynamic conversation that occurs that determines that a capital program is viable, that we have the funds coming from the relevant required payers to build the project and or projects that sit in the program. And that's kind of step one, and, and that's not an easy step. Concurrent with that, you know, good agencies are doing some level of concept design, exploring multiple solutions. I mean, the one thing I love, I really reflect often on being a young engineer I had a great boss, a woman named Barbara Weiss, I worked for, for a small company in Boulder, Colorado. And the one thing I learned is that, and I think engineers, we know this, there's not one solution. There's multiple solutions and you've got to sketch, today you probably do it in an online environment, but you've got to sketch out different solutions that might align to achieving the engineering solution for that, what is now a funded program or project. And then you know, from a risk management perspective, you've got a whole other group of people you've got to bring in to inform that. 
Is this the right technical approach? Is it good dealing with the right resiliency components? Have we touched base with a builder or a construction manager to make sure that we're, we're thinking about the constructability issues, which we need to think about early and often? And that's just, you know, getting the right industry experts around there to make sure that before we go into preliminary design, before we go into procurement, we're really spending a lot of money. We've got a, a well-formed solution that we're progressing. So again, you know, the message from my day job around forming projects is early engagement and getting the right subject matter experts to inform a program or project before we go too far and have to restart, which sometimes can erode confidence uh, in the projects that we are ultimately responsible for building. All right. I want to give Mike a break for a minute here to thank one of our sponsors again for this infrastructure series, Red Vector. The team at Red Vector believes knowledge is the most powerful tool available for helping people enrich their lives and meet their professional goals. Red Vector's industry-leading online library includes more than 1,500 engaging accredited courses developed to meet your continuing education requirements and enhance critical skills. Keep pace with an ever-evolving industry. Train with Red Vector. To find out more about Red Vector's continuing education, visit www.redvector.com. I know that every project, of course, is wildly different in a lot of senses, and these things aren't typical in any sense of the word, but how early, in projects like this that are so vast, some of them, these infrastructure projects, before you even get into preliminary design, like these conversations that you're talking about, I mean, I would assume that these happen like way before, right? They should, and I think... We as an industry are doing a better job and better job, and, and I'm going to use a word that maybe we're overusing today, but we're being more collaborative all the time. I think we've grown as an industry to respect each of our voices and the value that each of us brings more so than we did maybe in the past. I mean, as a designer, you don't want to work in a silo, not truly understanding the architect's vision if there's an architect involved. You don't want to work in a silo the constructors, the builders who are going to be involved in the project don't have a voice, or we're the O&M people who understand the long-term life cycle costs associated with the project. Now, as an engineer, you're probably going to understand each of those components as you grow in your career. It's such a dynamic, fast-paced world. It's difficult for a single voice to guide any of these projects or programs from the inception phase. So I think, Anthony, that as soon as you put pencil to paper, as, you, as soon as you start to identify the want or need, depending on where in the economic continuum a project lies, I think having a, a quick conversation with a broad group of experts is critical. And it's got to be an open, honest, here's what went right last time we did a project like this. Here's what went wrong last time we went up, did a project like this. Here's what's changed and therefore should, would require us to do something different today than what we've done historically with this type of project. And the really, really difficult part of that is that starts to create an expectation of these experts that come to bear on these projects that they have some sort of visibility on enough similar projects to make sure that that client gets the right guidance, makes the right early decisions, but doesn't get stuck in a quagmire of rethinking, rethinking, because ultimately We've got to make a choice. We've got to decide this is what we are going to design and build. And we've got to do it aligned with the constraints that come through the CapEx. I mean, you can't go through concept design forever. You've got to put your pencil down, agree that this is the project you're going to fund, make sure you've got the right risk mitigation in place for areas on a project that, that may have some risks, some uncertainties um, that you're going to have to actively manage through the delivery of the project, and then turn it over to the expert project managers who are going to work with the designers, the builders, the architects, et cetera, to make sure that we get through the process and ultimately build whatever the project is. So again, it's an open, honest, early conversation that is that we make sure we note the risks, we make sure we note the opportunities, and we then build a project delivery plan that allows us to achieve those as we work through the process. Really interesting. And the reason I'm asking Mike these questions is because I really want through this series for our listeners to understand that these projects are very complex. They have a lot of steps to them. And we're lucky to be talking to Mike who gets involved early on in these projects in terms of assessing the risk and the viability of these projects. Because to me, that's really the most important part of the project because in terms of the dollar amount 
associated with these projects. The last thing you want to do is work on an infrastructure project that isn't the right fit, that doesn't have everybody on board, that has risks that weren't uncovered early on because it's a lot of money at stake here. So that's why I'm really happy that we have Mike on here. And I'm of the belief that as a civil engineer, even if you don't, maybe you're not working on quote unquote infrastructure projects, you're most likely somehow impacting infrastructure. And I think the more we can learn about these projects just makes us all more well-rounded engineers, which can makes the whole process better. I want to transition here to talk a little bit more about risk. I know that that keeps coming up today and Mike really focuses on that. But before I make that transition, I do want to mention something. AECOM has a website for infrastructure, kind of dedicated to infrastructure, which is infrastructure.aecom.com, where they house some of these documents that Mike referenced earlier. And so I'll give that again at the end of the show. I don't want to forget to give it though. Again, it's infrastructure.aecom.com. It's a place where you can see some of these documents that Mike's talking to and just some other things about infrastructure in general. All right, Mike. So I want to just jump into risk here. This is what you do. You focus on risk. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about risk and some different types of risk that you deal with? Yeah, Anthony, thank you. And thank you for mentioning that AECOM infrastructure site. AECOM progression as a company is really analogous to where I see us in the industry today. I mean, AECOM, very large company, started with a, a lot of, by kind of buying a lot of different design offices that worked autonomously, ended up buying some construction businesses, again, successful businesses that worked autonomously, and, and through growth over you know, a 10, 15-year period of time, ended up having a global footprint. But the reality was you know, a lot of little design offices responsive to their client needs, but not necessarily connected globally to pull in an understanding of what global best practice might be, not necessarily aligned to how to work with the build and operation and maintenance aspects of our business on a, in an efficient way. And what I've seen over the course of, of the last five years under our current CEO, Mike Burke, is what I've seen and I think what is expected of all of us in the industry, which is a level of connectivity between the designers, the builders, the operators, the people financing these projects that, as we just noted, can have the right early conversation to form the right capital project and program. So again, I compliment the industry and our clients in moving us that in that direction and expecting that of us. I work today actually in AECOM's legal department. So I work for Carla Christofferson and Regis Demore, our uh, chief counsel and chief risk officer. And like many Fortune 500 companies, when we came through the great financial crisis, we all realized that managing risk needed to change. We needed to mature how we manage risk. We need not, we can't just uh, manage risk from our financial balance sheets and, and look at you know, where we might have some issues there. We need to really look at all of the aspects of our business in a structured way and make sure that we have reasonable and efficient solutions in place to manage risk. So at AECOM, we do that in, in two ways. We have an enterprise risk management program, which on a regular basis does an, a global analysis of our business risks and all of the risks associated with our business around the world. And that program allows us to prioritize a top 10 set of risks that we actively manage. And one of the critical things about being a risk manager that I always want to mention to people is you are most oftentimes not the expert in the room. You have identified a risk. You have an expert that is responsible for mitigating that risk, whether it's at an enterprise level, like I'm describing, or at a project level. Someone that owns that mitigation. Defining the mitigation plan and making sure there's regular follow-up to implement whatever mitigation that's critical, whether it's at a project level or at an enterprise level. So we have an enterprise risk management program, which we kind of split into to two buckets. We have inherent risks that all of us face as we work in this industry, which includes ethics and compliance, information security, global security and resilience, qualities, errors, emissions. And the one I should have mentioned first, because it's top of mind for all of us, is safety. Those are inherent risks that we've got to make sure our programs, our projects, our people, our businesses, have solutions in place to mitigate that risk to us. And then we look at strategic risks, which are places that I think a lot of us in the industry are, are seeing acceleration and challenges around critical infrastructure. What is the expectation from the public as we develop critical infrastructure, which may vary from our current regulatory environment? Digital transformation. We're rapidly advancing the use of drones and BIM and AI and 3D printing, and are we doing it in a way that, one, is it efficient and profitable, but two, does it potentially expose us to different risks than we may be used to when some of this stuff's stored in a cloud environment and, and we know how complicated that is? 
All of this underlaid by progressing our design, build, finance, and operate capabilities and making sure that we have the talent in place to deliver. So through ERM, I think I have an incredible job because I get to work with subject matter experts and there's not one, there's many who inform mitigation. Mitigation ultimately becomes a plan that we implement to make sure as a business we mature in line with industry expectation and that we protect our business and our shareholders across each of the elements I just mentioned. We then work very, very closely with our strategy team to understand where what we want to do next as a company, to understand maybe some areas that we no longer want to serve clients because we've got an unreasonable risk of profile on certain types of projects. And we articulate that into a risk appetite statement. And then we've got a global group of experts in an office of risk management who are readily available to our project teams, to anyone across the world who is, is working at AECOM to make sure that we understand what our risk appetite is. And for those projects, a very small subset of all the projects we do globally, but for those projects where, which present a particularly difficult risk profile to make sure that we have early engagement with the right subject matter experts to make a decision on whether or not it's the right project for us, and then to make sure that we bound it with the right mitigation if we are going to proceed. And we don't do that in a vacuum. I mean, when I talk about early engagement around a project or a program and the intelligent decision-making process that we want to have as a company, that is inclusive of that same conversation with our subject matter experts, our client subject matter experts. And the reality is those folks must have connectivity to the constituents that are all ultimately going to use a piece of infrastructure or even a private piece of or private facility that we develop. The one thing I'll note kind of including what is risk management is risk management is not a risk workshop where you delineate the risks, you talk about mitigation, and you check the box because you've now delivered that task. Risk management is an active dialogue that starts with early engagement, assignment of the right subject matter expert, and like any part of a project, regular enough follow-up, efficient follow-up. It's not meant to be bureaucratic. We're not meant to slow things down but efficient follow-up to make sure that those areas that we identified as risks are mitigated and therefore the project is delivered on time, on budget, cost-effectively, and can be relied on by the public when it's in place. So again, I think uh, risk management is certainly a place that I would encourage people to consider as they move through their career, but the reality is everyone in our industry needs to be risk-aware, and every organization in our industry needs to have a risk intelligent approach to make sure that they know the right subject matter experts are involved in the conversation early because the mistakes we make during project formation, which is very dynamic, very fast paced, and I fully respect the complexities of that, but the mistakes we make are, are by not having collaborative conversations, by not listening with empathy to what might go wrong and making sure that we mitigate that might go wrong before we go too far down the path. Great stuff. And it really sounds, Mike, like you have a very exciting job, which is really cool, just dealing with some of these projects and getting involved at this stage of the project. One other thing I want to mention that Mike had identified when we spoke offline, just a couple of books I want to throw out there that might be helpful in terms of everything we've been talking about here today. One of them was Smart Collaboration by Heidi Gardner in terms of, she talks about kind of breaking down silos in larger firms, which could be applicable here. Also, another one, that was a good one. Thank you for being late. An Optimist's Guide to Thriving in the Age of Accelerations by Thomas Friedman, which also could be a good one in terms of everything going on here and some of the things that we've talked about. Mike, before we move on to our CE Hot Seat segment and wrap up with a couple of career questions for you, what thoughts do you want to leave our listeners with in terms of infrastructure and maybe risk and in infrastructure? Well, the two books you mentioned really hit home with me. Smart Collaboration really is, again, about making sure that as you see an opportunity to serve a client, there's a demand on the client side for a new project, and we're having an early design conversation. The reality is, in, in the world we live in today, in most cases, there's other minds, there's other thoughts, there's other people within our company or our peers that might better inform that first step. And and what we don't want to do as an industry is just hand off our clients or our constituents from you know, person A to person B to person C and confuse them. What we want to make sure we do is we orchestrate an intelligent solution. So collaboration starts by making sure we've got the right people around the table 
and then making sure that that group of people can come together. And these are oftentimes difficult conversations, but that that group of people, the architect, the engineer, the builder, the O&M, make sure that they can turn back to the client who then has to speak to their constituents and say, this is a well thought out project, well thought out program, and we're giving you a solution or options for a solution. We're not just confusing the conversation, which is already very complex when you talk about building infrastructure. On the Freeman book, I think that's really professionally for me, one of the biggest challenges in our world today. That book speaks about the incredible acceleration in IT, you know, Moore's Law and and the rapid pace we're seeing today, especially in our industry, which I think is really catching up now of the implementation of IT and how do we leverage the newest and greatest IT opportunities. The geopolitical environment where we used to just keep no, in a risk management standpoint, we kind of used to know where in the world our red spots were, the areas that presented significant geopolitical risk. And I think the connectivity and the dynamic in our current political environment it's not about hot spots. It's about, you know, the reality is almost every relationship globally today has areas that are hot and cold. And we've got to be aware of those. What are the implications of tariffs? What are the implications of some of the political things that are said to us and the projects we're delivering? And then last, the environmental change. So the point of that book or the point I took away from that book is we've got these three rapid accelerants, IT, geopolitics, and changes in the environment. And we as professionals and we as human beings are trying to understand how do I lean into those to have an impact, to play a role in delivering a project? And what do I extract each time I touch a project? And and again, when I work with our risk experts in AECOM, that's what they do all day, is they don't own a lot of projects from start to finish, nor should they. But we have to make sure that those people and their counterparts in safety, security, and resilience, and quality, and all the other subject matter experts that we work with We've got to make sure they're empowered to have a strong voice at the right time in project formation that leads us to delivering a better project. And we've also got to know that they have the capability to extract from that conversation value to the broader organization. And that's really hard to do with the pace of change we're currently doing. It's got to be done with some level of structure. So I don't think I answered your question, but I did want to talk about the two books, which I continue to lean on as I inform my professional path forward. And again, a lot of good stuff there in terms of infrastructure and risk and the complexity of these systems that we're dealing with and the process that we go through or that engineering professionals and firms go through to identify whether or not a project is viable, whether or not the constituents are comfortable with the level of risk associated with these projects and just really, really interesting stuff. All right, what we're going to do now is we're going to jump into our CE Hot segment. I'm going to keep Mike with me here, and I'm going to just pepper him with a few last questions in terms of his professional development that hopefully will be helpful for you in your professional development. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for our CE Hot Seat segment where I'm going to pepper Mike with a few questions about his professional development. But before I do that, Once again, I want to highlight one of our sponsors for this series, Danfoss. By 2050, 2.4 billion more people will live in cities. That's going to present a lot of challenges for those of us that work in engineering. As you heard in this interview with Mike Burns, we need to build better, smarter infrastructure to support such a significant population increase in urban centers. Danfoss has made it their mission to help pave the way for the communities of tomorrow. They have been developing solutions that make a difference for the past 85 years, and their latest innovations are showcased in a project called Danfoss City. You can go to the fully interactive Danfoss City website right now and see their solutions in action. Smart energy systems, efficient buildings, raising construction sites, just a couple of areas where you can experience how Danfoss is part of the sustainable development of strong infrastructure. Go see for yourself at city.danfoss.com. You can also find the link in the show notes for this episode number 91 of the Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, Mike, welcome to the CE Hot Seat. You ready to go? I am. Thanks, Anthony. All right. First question. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that contributes to you being a successful professional? Well, I telecommute or I've telecommuted quite a bit in my recent role. I travel as well. So one of them is to make sure that my wife gets her coffee and I go to my office 
every day and, and respect that uh, the work environment some of us have today with telecommuting and traveling is different than the many, many years I went into offices. So that's probably one. The second one for me that's it's important is always to make sure I get some sort of physical activity, get some exercise. Today, a lot of things for me, that's swimming because it just lets my mind kind of release whatever stresses or strains I have and, and get out feeling physically fit and, and mentally more mindful of my surroundings than I was before I get into uh, in the pool. That's a good one. I like when people do mention that one from time to time in this segment. I think it's an important one because projects are stressful and there's always more stuff we can work on. But if we decide to work an extra hour and not do something physical in the long run, I think it could impact our kind of productivity and, and the quality of the work. So I think it's always a good thing to bring up. Mike, I usually ask this question here and I'll ask it again, even though you've given us a few books already, is there one book that you recommend to engineers on a regular basis or just one book career related or professional development related that you found to be extremely helpful for you in your professional or personal development? You know, I've had some great mentors, people who I continue to rely on when I get to points of where I'm stuck stressed, strained, and then want to reach out and get some advice. I also mentor some people, and I think those relationships are equally fulfilling. And the one book I often mention is Becoming a Leader by Warren Bennis. What I took from that book was fairly simple concept of look for synergies. So look for places where you found a solution that, that simplified a complex problem and where else you can leverage that. One of the things that's been most pleasing for me is oftentimes in a professional environment, where I sometimes am a little less emotional than I am at home, I found ways to kind of connect things and move a team forward, make sure I get the value out of the collective team as I move forward versus just championing the star. And I found a way to, to do better as a parent, I think, by looking at that as well as how do I work with my children, my wife, my family to make sure that I'm responsive to the needs of each individual, look for synergies, simplicities, as, so we can all move forward in our lives in the same way that I hope I do effectively with the professionals I work with. So Warren Bennis, Becoming a Leader, I think is a, is a good book. It is very obvious in talking with you both on this call and the couple of calls we had leading up to this, that you're very focused on providing value to your clients and obviously people you work with, your family, the people you live with, your clients, et cetera, all those things, you're very focused on value and like serving those people, which I think is just a great thing to do when you're in our industry, when you're a service, when you're providing services. So it's good to hear you really drive that point home. All right, Mike, one more question I've got here for you. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question, which is if you got into an elevator with a civil engineering professional and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give him or her career advice in that short period of time, what would it be? Number one, ask a lot of questions. Obviously, you've got to be efficient. You've got to do your job every day, but never be afraid to ask a question. Always want to understand the broader context of what it is you're doing. Yeah, you may be only touching part of the design on a larger infrastructure project or program, but you need to ask and you need to be inspired to understand the bigger picture. Doesn't need to distract from what you do day to day, but it helps you be a better voice in our communities around the world with people who may not have your background and understand the benefits of what it is that you do as a civil engineer. And then on the flip side, as you grow in your career, be responsive. And the one thing I've learned, I spent about 10 years doing entitlement in a very contentious political environment outside of Boulder, Colorado. And early on, I realized that respond to everybody. Now, I'm not talking about every junk email you get in our world today, but every person that asked me a question about our projects, I tried to give them an answer of what the impact would be to them. And I realized that it allowed me to build relationships within a community at the ground level that, that supported our business in a way that I, I wouldn't have otherwise. Today, with LinkedIn and all the different professional networking things out there, I think all too often we see a question from somebody and figure that, oh, they'll just find it on the internet. They'll get their answer without my assistance. And I still really value human contact. I think that if someone's got a question, try and find a, a minute or so to, to have a conversation and inform the next step in their career. And that would, should empower them to continue to ask good questions to continue to become a stronger professional to our collective value. Of course, I agree with that because I feel like doing all of these podcast episodes, I'm constantly asking questions and continuing to learn a lot about things. I thought I knew something about, now I feel like I know a lot about them. So it's really sound advice. All right. Once again, I'd like to thank Mike Burns from AECOM to come on here and to talk about this very complex topic. 
the website that we talked about in terms of infrastructure that AECOM's put together is infrastructure.aecom.com. In terms of Mike, you can definitely find him on LinkedIn and connect with him if you'd like. And again, Mike, just thanks so much for the time. I know you're very busy with all these projects you're working on, and we really appreciate you spending some time here with our listeners. Thank you, Anthony. I've really enjoyed it. I'm very proud of being a civil engineer. It's created an incredible career path. I love the things that we touch, the projects we deliver, and and how we make the world a better place. So for all of you that are listening, I hope that uh, you're enjoying your career as much as I am. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast as much as I did recording. I really had a blast with Michael just leading up to the call, our pre-calls. And it's such an interesting topic, infrastructure, especially this idea of assessing risk. And he just gave us so much great input on it. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I just do want to mention that the next session of the Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop will be September 14th. Start September 14th. I'll be getting a question from a lot of our listeners. You can enroll as an individual in our program. Your corporation can enroll you. We have corporate teams available. You can find all the information on engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. If you're unsure of what the Engineering Management Accelerator is, it's an online workshop that goes for five weeks that helps you build your managerial skills as an engineer. You'll be able to communicate more effectively with team members and clients. You'll be more productive because of the productivity strategies that we will give to you you will be able to network and build relationships better than you did before just because of the assignments we're going to give you and the strategies we're going to give you. You'll also learn how to build expertise in an industry and master the art of public speaking. And you will also learn how to be a high leverage leader and master the skill of delegation, which is something that a lot of engineers can't do effectively. 90% of the individuals that have enrolled in the program have been reimbursed and we have materials to help you get reimbursed because really your companies should want you to do this. If you develop these skills, it's going to be better for you, better for them. Again, that's engineer to manager, engineer to manager.com. You can find all of the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 91. You'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that Michael or myself mentioned in the episode. And he gave us some really good books. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.